You are listening to WPRK 91.5, the voice of Rollins College, Winter Park, Florida. Welcome to the Crummer Hour on WPRK 91.5 Rollins College. I'm your host, Clara Mount. Today's show is brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College and Victor Media Group. You can check out Victor Media Group and its growing library of shows and podcasts at victormediagroup.co. Today, our guest is Dr. Brian Walkup, who's a Crummer alumnus and currently serves as Associate Professor of Finance at the Crummer Graduate School of Business. And I'm here with our panel of Crummer students and alumni, which includes Matt Caldwell, People Operations at Axon, MBA 2020, Rachel Valuki, Area Manager at Amazon, MBA 2020, Kyle Sawyer, current student in EA MBA 37, and as always, I'm Clara Mount, MBA 2020. Welcome, everyone. In a moment, we're going to listen to the Crummer Connections interview with Dr. Walkup that was broadcast this past May. But before we do that, I'd like to ask for the panel to share some of their thoughts on what the audience should listen for. So what do you think, Kyle? What should we listen for in the Crummer Connections interview? I was really interested in uh, Dr. Walkup's upbringing and how he had a very early interest in numbers and math and how that uh, interest evolved into one of finance. All right, Rachel. Uh, yeah, I was really interested in kind of the home that Dr. Walkup found in um, academia and that real passion that comes through for teaching. Awesome, Matt. Yeah, I was really interested in Dr. Walkup explaining some of the common mistakes that company leaders make and even personally people make when taking on large financial projects. Awesome. And for myself, I'd love to add um, that I didn't know that Dr. Walkup grew up with such an entrepreneurial um, group of people surrounding him. And I thought that that was really interesting to hear about. Uh, so in the second half of the show, we're going to have Dr. Walkup here with our panel to discuss more about his entrepreneurial upbringing, finance, and his experiences as both a student and a professor at Crummer. So stay tuned for that. But first, we're going to check out that Crummer Connections interview. So the next thing you hear will be JB Adams welcoming our guest. Let's get started. Today's guest is Dr. Brian Walkup, Associate Professor of Finance at the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. He holds a PhD in finance from the University of Florida and an MBA from the Crummer School. He teaches financial management and applied financial management, which some of you may remember as the intense financial course that had the simulation in it. I, I remember taking that course. His primary research interests are in the areas of corporate finance, such as payout policy, initial public offerings, mergers and acquisitions, and the intersection between sports and finance. Dr. Walkup, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Me too. Uh, I want to start with your specialty. So finance is a topic that not everybody understands right away. So I, I just want you to help break it down and make it more approachable to our listeners. What are some of the common mistakes that you think business leaders make in their approach to finance? Yeah, so I think the answer to that varies pretty significantly with the, the size of the business, the industry they're in, a lot of different factors. But I think uh, one of the most common things I would say that I see is um, not necessarily making decisions that are in the best interest of their shareholders or stakeholders. Uh, so the ultimate goal of the firm from a financial standpoint is to maximize the value of the owners or the shareholders if it's publicly traded. And so uh, often we'll see firms make decisions that are more focused on growth and not necessarily growth that generates value, right? So there's a difference between taking on a project purely to grow revenue and to become larger 
and taking on a project because it generates revenue that trickles down to the bottom line and creates uh, bottom line value for their shareholders. So I think that would be one of the most common mistakes I'd see. So let me let me see if I'm interpreting this correctly. Um, the mistake would be if we're just focused on being greedy and making a lot of money for ourselves really fast versus how do we help our customers solve a problem by bringing value to them through our products and services? And if we focus on that, then the profits will just naturally follow. Yeah, so I think that's kind of a, a slightly different take on the same response. So from that perspective, it'd be looking at the difference between short-term value creation and long-term value creation, right? So when a shareholder values a share, if we want to think from the publicly traded firm perspective, they're really looking at the present value of all future cash flows of the firm. And a lot of times uh, management might focus too much on the immediate term um, cash flows and value creation. So it's really easy, well, maybe not really easy, but it's easier to maximize next period's earnings than it is to maximize the net of all future periods earnings. So uh, we could cut corners and cut the quality of our product and increase margins, which sounds great short term because it trickles down for next period, but it's going to have long term ripple effects that are going to have negative ramifications on the future periods for the firm. Uh, so firms really need to be looking at not just the short term impact, but the long term impact. Um, and that is what trickles all the way down to, to the full shareholder value. And sometimes we actually can run into issues where there's a misalignment of incentives that can actually drive upper management to make more short term focused um, decisions because we might have bonuses or other goals that are created around this period's market share, this period's revenues, or this period's EBIT, uh, or even if it's the next two or three periods, we can make decisions that help benefit those short-term periods, but at the expense of the long-term health of the firm financially. And, and do you think that's sometimes because the managers of the firm are more beholden to what I would call the uh, the anxious investor? Sometimes investors lose patience and they say, I'm not getting enough return, I'm gonna put my money somewhere else versus the investors who are saying, I'm gonna be this in this for the long haul, a little bit of return or a little bit of growth is enough to satisfy me. Absolutely, yeah. So there's um, definitely a balance there between, um, again, being able to report really good earnings for this period or really good forecast for the next couple periods, which is the easiest thing to put the most focus on versus I think there are a lot of investors that recognize the long-term impacts and that that's really what's going to drive the the full valuation of the firm but it is a lot easier to focus on the short-term results rather than um, the the full picture of the entire long-term timeline fascinating topic um and we could talk about it more but what we're going to do right now is we're going to shift gears a little bit um this is an opportunity to get to know you a little bit better we're going to learn about your backstory and uh and your early business inf influences so let's just start with give us an idea of where you were born and raised and what generation you identify with okay so i was born and raised in uh, venice florida which for those of you that aren't familiar with it it's about an hour south of tampa on the gulf side of florida if you've never been it's a beautiful place great beaches uh, but very much a retirement community so i think outside of the villages which is a city based fully around a retirement community. I believe Venice has the oldest average population. 
Um, it's a you know kind of a sleepy town where they roll the streets up about nine o'clock for most people, but a great place to grow up. Um, I loved um, being raised there, and um, I would say that I am a part of the millennial generation, but the very early stages of the millennials. So I think if you look, generally it is either 1980 or 1981 is considered the start of the millennials, and I was born in 1982. Okay. But I've I've seen some articles and I would tend to agree that the millennials to some degree need to be split into maybe two subsections um, because those of us that were born on the early side of the millennial generation, technology was very different. So computers were starting to become more prevalent in homes, but we had dial up through AOL and I still right. remember the, <laughs> the screeching noise and the slow downloads and everything else. Um, and then as we were getting into our college age was when um, smartphones and things were becoming more prevalent. And so I think we had uh, childhoods that were less technologically driven. I've, I mean, I had a PlayStation and everything else, but you know, we didn't, we didn't have information quite at the ready the way the later stages of the millennials did. And so I think there's a break between the two groups just based on um, how technology helped impact their childhood. It changes very quickly. Um, so let's talk about some early business influences. You had some uh, sort of business role models of a sort. Absolutely. So I come from a very entrepreneurial family. So my grandfather um, actually started out um, in construction. And um, after moving to Florida, he quickly realized that there was shortages of porta potties available for construction sites. And so as a good entrepreneurial mind does when they recognize a, a need in the market and something that can be filled. He started a porta potty business called Little John. And so they provided um, outdoor portable restrooms for construction sites and other needs and started out small and grew it into a very large company that I, I believe at the end of the day was bought out by waste management. Uh, and then my father kind of took the reins uh, as an entrepreneur as well. And so through the porta potty business, um, at, at one point they determined that it was actually ideal to start building the porta potties themselves exactly. rather than buying them externally, which got my dad into the fiberglass business. And so my dad um, was very helpful with my grandfather in starting uh, to build the porta potties. And after my grandfather sold the business, he started a fiberglass business where he would make um, outdoor patio furniture. A lot of Floridians obviously have fiber or at least used to have fiberglass patio furniture um, and growing up in a coastal town in Florida. Um, I believe it was one of his classmates from high school began what's called zap skimboards. So skimboarding is similar to surfing, but more along the coast with a smaller board. And so as zap skimboards was um, in its infancy, they had my dad create some of their original fiberglass uh, skimboards. And then over time, he transitioned to owning a automotive um, and boat battery business. So providing uh, car batteries and boat batteries for those in the Venice community. And then uh, after selling off both of those businesses, he um, started a charter bus company. So um, again, kind of filling a need. So my, my family's hobby is antique cars. Oh. And my my dad had a, I believe it was a 1950s fire truck that had been converted into a multiple, multiple passenger bus in the back. And he would do tours around Venice, especially during the holidays to look at Christmas lights. And people kept saying, you know, we really have a need for bus rentals and not just old antique buses, you know, for, for um, 
youth groups and high school trips and things of that are around the Venice community. And so he started a charter bus business um, that he grew up into um, a very nice, respectable company in the Venice area. And my brother recently took it over and is kept keeping that in the family as well. So I have a, a strong entrepreneurial background. Tell me what you learned by watching entrepreneurs. So I, I, I want to sort of express an assumption. Your dad was an entrepreneur. Your grandfather was an entrepreneur. Did they put you to work? Did you have a job on the weekends or in the evenings helping out? Or did you just watch? I did, yeah. So um, I remember hating it, but especially with the charter bus business, they would come back dirty. And a lot of times trips would come back late at night. And so we would go down to um, the warehouse area where the buses were stored overnight. And we would be down in the buses cleaning out trash um, out on the outside of the buses, um, basically you know, giving them a, a car wash, getting them ready for early trips the next morning. Um, and even at a younger age with the, the battery business, I remember spending days at the shop with my, with my dad. Um, at one point he had a space in the back that was rented out to someone who uh, sold bow and arrows and archery equipment. And I remember going through a phase where I got interested in archery. And so um, the the owner of that business put me to work cleaning his portion of the shop in a, as a way to be able to compensate me to buy my first bow and arrow. Um, and so I was definitely around um, small businesses and understood some of what it took to keep those running and some of the you know blood, sweat and tears that goes into a, a family owned small business. Yeah, well, I think it's good to put kids to work. Um, what were some of the lessons that you learned by watching these entrepreneurs? So kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, I think one of the big things is just you need to be able to fill a need within the community that your business is going to be, right? So especially if you're starting off as a small local business, there needs to be a need for that uh, product or service in the community. And I think that was something I wasn't around when my grandfather started the porta potty business, but I'm sure he didn't grow up dreaming of porta potties, but he saw a need and he knew he could fill it and successfully. Uh, same thing with my father, um, you know, all three businesses my dad started in each case, there was a need that he recognized and um, he took the risk and there is a definite risk involved with being an entrepreneur and starting your own company. And so, um, I saw that that risk-taking willingness and the ability to be confident in the the um, need that you're going to fill in the community. And then once you recognize that and you take the initiative to start it, I think you have to be willing to put in the work. So it's not easy. You need to be willing to work long hours to recognize that there's going to be some ups and downs uh, of especially the early stages of the business. And um, you also need to be a little bit of a jack of all trades, right? And so my father didn't have a finance PhD, but he had to understand the the basic financial needs of the company and how to fill them and how to be prepared for capital needs moving forward and the things I get to teach in class, but at a very different level. And um, but it wasn't just that he also needed to understand how to market his business, how to have good customer relations, the operations, every single discipline, which now, as an MBA faculty, I think is a unique perspective to have, because while I teach finance, I think one of our biggest goals is to create uh, graduates that understand how all aspects of the business work together. And no one really encompasses that the way an entrepreneur has to, because you have to understand the different aspects. Well, it sounds like 
those observations from your youth inform your approach to what you teach in class. It also sounds like you didn't enjoy cleaning out buses. So um, when we come back after the break, we get to hear more about your career journey. Um, our guest is Dr. Brian Walkup, and we'll be back in a moment. Hi, I'm Mallory Bliss, an Early Advantage MBA student at Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. When I was searching for my next opportunity after graduation, an MBA at Crummer was the best opportunity for me. I was nervous about starting at Crummer with my science background, but my fears were calmed on the very first day. Crummer is helping me pursue my aspiration of working in the pharmaceutical industry. For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu. Welcome back to Crummer Connections. I am JB Adams. Our guest is Dr. Brian Walkup, Associate Professor of Finance at the Crummer School. Before the break, we were chatting about your early business influences, and now we want to learn more about your professional journey. I always like to say that this is uh, kind of the making of a professor. So um, what would you tell us about your career journey that helped you find your way to being a professor? Yeah, so I definitely didn't start out assuming I would be a finance professor, that's for sure, uh, especially coming from an entrepreneurial background. Um, but I always enjoyed learning in academia. Um, really, my start was with a heavy emphasis on mathematics. So going through elementary school, middle school, high school, it was just something that came relatively naturally to me. I was good with numbers. I remember being in the shopping line with my mom, and as they were ringing up stuff, I would be watching the individual uh, item prices and trying to keep a running tally in my head to see how close I could get to right at the end of uh, her bill. And so I just always enjoyed numbers and calculations. And so um, like a lot of people, I just kept pursuing what I felt like I was good at and I had confidence in. And so as I went into my undergrad, I started as a mathematics major and was doing well through my first um, several uh, upper level courses. But I quickly started realizing that it was very different than what I was used to with math. So as if, if anyone's taken upper level mathematics courses, you get into um, you know, differential equations and linear, uh, linear calculations. And eventually you get into abstract math and pretty soon you have no numbers within the course and you're just doing proofs and derivations and theories. And I was doing fine, but I didn't love it. And so I remember spending a lot of time with my advisor. So uh, I was fortunate to go to a pretty small school where I had a very good relationship with my, the head of the math department, who was my advisor. And we would often have meals together. And I remember sitting down with him and saying, you know, I feel like I'm doing well, but I don't really see what I'm going to do with this when I graduate. I don't really see myself enjoying what the options are. And so what is your advice? And he said, I think just from knowing you really well, because we would have classes of three to four, three or four or five students often, they were very small. So he knew me very well. He said, given what I've seen from you, I think what you're really missing is the application mm -hmm. of the material. I think you really want to be able to see how the steps you're doing apply to something real. And I said, yes, that's exactly what I'm missing. Uh, and so he said, I, I'd recommend you take some finance courses, some, I think he specifically said business courses, but focus on the finance topics because um, the application will be there and being in finance is still very quantitatively driven. So you'll get to use the skill set you feel comfortable with, but you'll get to see the output that you wanna see, which is how it has a true application to a real decision-making process 
and has a lasting effect on a group of people, the shareholders and the other stakeholders of the firm. And so I started taking finance courses. Uh, so that was the upside of a very small school. The unfortunate downside was they didn't have a finance major. Uh, so I continued out my math degree and got a finance minor, uh, which luckily then led me to Crummer. So I knew coming out of my undergrad that I didn't have enough business background to get where I wanted to be. And so I sought out the early advantage program at Crummer because uh, I knew that it was crafted specifically for people without as much work experience that wanted to build a business background and do some consulting and build up a, a resume um, quickly. And so I started at Crummer back in 2004. Uh, I was a finance and management concentration and took amazing courses with some of the faculty I now get to call colleagues. Mm -hmm. And um, it was exactly what I would, had wanted as far as the application of the material. And so I got an internship at CNL, which is the real estate investment trust firm. So I was very fortunate in that I started with what was called the CNL Lifestyles Group. And so they were of the focus that as baby boomers retired, they would have a lot of money to spend on their retirement. It was a big, large group. And so that was going to shift how money was spent in America. And so while a lot of REITs buy the land underneath strip malls or other um, maybe a little bit less sexy or less uh, fun assets, the Lifestyles Group was buying the land under ski resorts, marinas, golf courses, Harley Davidson dealerships. And so as a young 20 something, it was this great internship that I, I loved and they uh, enjoyed having me on there and were creating a full time spot for me to stay on when I graduated at Crummer. And so I had kind of just started that transition as I was going through the early spring of my last year. Uh, but I had an itch to stay in academia. And I think a lot of that itch actually started from my Crummer faculty and from my undergraduate faculty as well. So the math advisor that I had that helped steer me was a big part. But uh, I also saw the the love for what they did amongst the Crummer faculty and how they got to engage with students and see um, applications across all the different businesses their students were in and were going into. And so it really sparked an interest uh, for me to stay in academia and to kind of replicate what they were able to do. And now I feel very fortunate to be to be back here where all that started. All right. I'm, I'm going to summarize and then I'm going to invite you to share your career advice. Okay. You had a glamorous job uh, traveling around to resorts and golf courses and real estate properties. And uh, did you get to drive a company car? I hadn't gotten to that point yet. Okay. All right. But but it sounds, as you just said, being a 20-something guy, um, having it sounds glamorous to me. It sounds like you got to do a lot of cool stuff at a young age. But um, you chose to set that aside and pursue this academic career. So based on that, because lots of people are listening and saying, what? Why did he do this? What's your career advice? I think you have to find what you're passionate about and what you feel will bring you value out of your career. So um, your career becomes such a large portion of your life, right? We all spend, you know, different people's different lengths of times, but 40, 50, 60 years of our life working a large percentage of our week in uh, whatever career we choose. And so you need to be able to do something that you can wake up in the morning and not dread. 
doing and be looking forward to. And while I'm sure I would have loved the travel aspects and everything, and I probably would have had a great career and transitioned into other things that I liked, and who knows, it might have been something I would have never looked back on if I had stayed there as well. I can say with certainty that I'll never regret my decision to go into academia because I wake up every morning and I don't dread going to work. In fact, I generally look forward to it. I love my interactions with students. Um, I love being able to research topics that then circle right back to that idea we talked about earlier of the application of what I'm learning. So I get to have lifelong learning and see the application, which is what I enjoy. Uh, I get to see my students go on and succeed. Um, I also always tell my students uh, the last week of class that this isn't the end of our journey. I want to be available to you as you move through your, through your career. So feel free to reach out when you run into um, you know, problems that tie back to things we learned in class, because I love getting to live somewhat vicariously through them and see how they're applying the material uh, that I teach them in class and then be able to help further them that next step in their their journey through uh, whatever track they choose. All right, I'm going to uh, transition to this. Uh, we'll uh, our fourth segment. Um, students get you in finance class, including advanced financial management. Uh, for a student that has not had you as a professor yet, what should they expect if they take your course? What is your philosophy of teaching? So I think some of it circles back to some of the things we've already been speaking about, right? So I love the idea of applying. So finance feels like a very theoretical, quantitative, step-by-step um, -step process type uh, discipline. And at its root, there is a lot of that, right? So in order to um, identify the net present value of a project, it is a step process. But realistically, when you use this in a corporate setting, it's much more than just applying an equation. There's an art to identifying the cash flows to include. There's a an art to interpreting um, what type of discount rate to use. There's an, uh, a subjective decision that needs to be made at the end of the day. And so I want my students to be able to come out understanding not just what the tools are that are at their disposal, but also how to apply those tools. So, but the analogy I like to give my students is that um, when they take my course, they come in with a, a tool belt, right? And for some students, it's completely empty when it comes to finance and others have had a couple finance courses and have some tools. And my hope is that I continue to add new tools to that tool belt, but also that I start giving them the thought process of how to apply those tools. And so uh, I want them be, to be able to think through and say, not only does this apply to you know, CAPM or IRR or whatever topic we've talked about, but here's how I would then take the step to apply that in a realistic sense. And so I always also give them the discussion of your boss is never going to walk up to your desk and set a piece of paper down with Dr. one of Dr. Walkup's written word problems exactly the way it was in class, but with the numbers changed, right? If it was, it'd be really easy. We'd go back, we'd pull up our old Excel file, change the numbers and submit a response. Uh, but really what they're going to do is they're going to say, we need you to calculate X or we need you to make a decision on Y. And then your role is to say, what were those tools that I now understand? And how do I go about getting the inputs to those tools so that I can apply them? Because it's not going to be laid out of, you know, here's the discount rate. Here's cash flow one, cash flow two. Right. And so there is a, a gap that a lot of students come out of school with where they understand the equations, but they don't understand how to apply them. And while I can't prep students for every 
scenario in which they're going to have to apply them. If I help build those critical thinking skills a little bit of how they work, then we can get them to a point where hopefully they're able to make those connections and be more successful in their career. Excellent. Dr. Walkup, um, we are about to wrap up our time together. What message would you like to give and share with the Crummer community today? So I think one piece of advice I'd like to kind of leave everyone with is that uh, being a part of the business world is a lifelong learning opportunity. And there's also a need for lifelong learning as you go about it. Things change over time. Um, and there's always, no matter how much we know, there's always gaps that we can fill. And so one reminder I'd like to give, you know, our alumni or our current students as they move out or anyone else associated at all with the Crummer program is that the faculty that are here love the opportunity to stay in contact with you as you move forward. And so I think my, my kind of final piece of advice would just be to stay connected and use Crummer as part of that lifelong learning and then allow us to be part of the lifelong learning from you as well as you pick up uh, bits and pieces throughout your career. Yeah, uh, I'm in full agreement. It's exactly as you said. Um, it's not just a classroom experience. It is a lifelong learning experience. So it's important to stay in touch. Um, Dr. Brian Walkup, thanks so much for joining us on Crummer Connections and sharing your story. Thank you, JB. Appreciate it. This is Clara Mount. Please stay tuned for the second half of the Crummer Hour. When we come back, we'll meet with Dr. Brian Walkup to get his responses to questions submitted by you, our listeners, and Crummer students and alumni. You are listening to WPRK 91.5, the voice of Rollins College, Winter Park, Florida. Hi, I'm Sarah Neely. I am an Early Advantage MBA student here at the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Crummer has enabled me with hands-on real-world experience that has been translated inside and outside the classroom. I'm very excited for not only the rest of my second year here at Crummer, but also in the future and to come back and visit. For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu. In today's Crummer Hour, we are talking with Dr. Brian Walkup. He is a Crummer alumnus and associate professor of finance at the Crummer Graduate School of Business. In the first half of the show, we heard Dr. Walkup describe common mistakes in the understanding of finance, his entrepreneurial upbringing, and how effective firms consistently maximize value. Now in the second half of the show, we have him here with us live in the VMG Zoom studio to have him respond to the questions that were provided by Crummer students, faculty, and alumni. Dr. Walkup, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. And also with us, we have our panel of Crummer alumni and students, which includes Matt Caldwell, People Operations at Axon, Rachel Valuki, Area Manager at Amazon, Kyle Sawyer, current student in EA MBA 37, and as always, I'm Clara Mount, MBA 2020. All right, uh, Dr. Walkup, Dr. Walkup, welcome again. I'm, I'm going to mix up your name like 200 times on this recording. <laughs> no worries. I do it to students all the time. <laughs> All right. Um, so welcome to the show, Dr. Walkup. We're going to just jump right in with some questions from our audience. So our first question is about your backstory, and it comes from Rachel. Yeah. So you grew up surrounded by entrepreneurs. So why didn't you pursue a position in that family business or start a company yourself? Yeah, so I think a lot of it was honestly personality driven. So my my brother was very involved in the family business, uh, spent a lot of time with my dad, uh, learning the ropes of it and kind of assisting. 
And for whatever reason, at a young age, I was very driven by learning and really enjoyed the academic atmosphere. And so I just always found myself getting more and more entwined in learning. And so as I was finishing my undergraduate degree, I wanted to pursue a graduate degree, which landed me at Crummer. And then as I was wrapping up my time at Crummer, I just found myself drawn to stay in academia, continue learning, continue pushing myself in that direction. And uh, it just, it fit what I wanted from a career. I wanted a really good uh, work family balance. I wanted something that I felt very engaged with and could uh, see myself getting uh, better over time, just improving um, you know, myself as a person and academically. And so the, the transition to being a professor just kind of came natural. I also think I, I grew up being a little bit risk averse and an entrepreneur. Really, that's not a great trait for an entrepreneur. <laughs> and maybe that's the finance person in me. You know, we, we talk about risk averse investors. And um, but I think as as I've gotten older and understand more of the, the whole the whole uh, function of a business, I could actually see myself being more open to it. Um, but I love where I'm at right now. So awesome. Uh, Kyle. Yeah, Dr. Walkup, if you if you started your own business today without, you know, the risk averse uh, uh, talk that we were just having, what what do you think it would be like? Is there an industry that particularly excites you? Yeah, so kind of to what I was just saying about I think I'd be a little more open to it now. Honestly, I think it would actually be for my wife. So I think it'd be more of a family decision to move forward and potentially start something. But uh, right now, my wife is a stay at home mother for our son. And as our son gets older and gets into school age and stuff, I, I know my wife would love that opportunity to potentially start something. And so she has a background in counseling and she's always had a love for equestrian uh, horses. And so uh, we've talked in the past about possibly doing equine therapy, which is using horses to um, to for therapy purpose, therapeutic purposes for those with disabilities or uh, psychological um things that they need to work through. And so that would be one thing. Or she also has a passion for helping moms that are struggling, uh, especially at early stages with young kids. And so the possibility of um, something where mothers help each other out, like an organized way to um, be able to assist moms in their times of need. So those are some things we've actually kind of bounced around over the last couple of years. Sure. Oh, that's really neat. Yeah. Yeah. I love that those are um, like community focused, like outward focused. Yeah, it's definitely my wife's passion and something I'd love to be able to support for her. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so the next question's from me. I am a huge gamer, as many people know, and I noticed in your interview, you mentioned you had a PlayStation growing up. Yep. So obviously games were important to you at some point too. Um, do you still play video games? <laughs> Not as much as I would like to. I have a four-year-old at, at home and, uh, you know, a honey-do list and other things that yeah. <laughs> I have to get accomplished first. And so I still... Honestly, this is the furthest be behind the gaming system universe I've been in my life. I still am stuck on a PS3. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I always was pretty up to date. And at this point, I know I'm falling further and further behind. So we have a PS3 and a Wii. And my son is just getting to the point. He's really into monster trucks right now. So we got oh. him a monster jam game on the Wii. It's just his kind of first introduction. And so I think as he matures and gets to that stage where uh, he would find video games exciting, I could see that being something we bond over and they'll probably bring my passion back a little bit over time. Oh, I love that. Um, I'm really curious, what is your impression of the video game industry and how it's evolved? I mean, you're not like super involved in it anymore, but what's what's kind of your impression of how the industry's evolved? I think it's really 
unique to in fact i watched a netflix special i don't know a couple months ago that kind of walked through the early stages of uh, the nintendo and the development of uh, some of the competitors i think it's really interesting to look at it from a historical perspective and see all the way back to you know atari and early stage and see how it's developed because it's a good way of tracking how broad technologies improved over time so if you look at graphics processing and all these different things that have improved but also how we interact with the game so mm -hmm. I grew up uh, using it as something that I mostly did on my own against the the game system itself. I played a lot of sports video games, and so you were playing against the computer. Yeah. And you could watch the computer get smarter and call a wider variety of plays and react to you better. And now I think what is really unique to see or really interesting to see is how interactive it is, right? Now, instead of having to have your friend come over, hold a controller next to you to be able <laughs> to play against them, you're playing globally with people, you can communicate, you can create strategies together. And I, I love how collaborative it's become and how interactive it's become. And then obviously the idea of becoming more engulfed in it through virtual uh, reality type systems and stuff, I think is really interesting as well. Yeah, that's a really good point with the uh, the interactivity. Um, like the last raid that I did, I did it with strangers that I knew, like friend of a friend of a friend kind of thing, because we needed six people. And I was like, I don't have six people to sit on a couch with me, right? Like, Yeah, I think it's a yeah. unique way for people to, and especially as we've gone through a pandemic, right? I mean, I think it probably for a lot of people was one of their main ways of communicating externally mm -hmm. and having connection. And so I think that's, it's really neat how it's developed from something that was very internal and singular focused to something that's very collaborative. Yeah, I love that. That was that was a really cool thought. Thanks for sharing that. Um, our next question is about finance, and it comes from Matt. Yeah, so with the recent Robinhood and GameStop fiasco, I know you touched on this previously, but can you explain why it's so important for investors to understand the market before diving in? Yeah, I, th I think the my answer to that would really go back to what the the goal or the reasoning for most people to be in the market is, right? So I think it's really easy right now, uh, especially for new investors to look at it as somewhat of a game and somewhat of a, you know, a betting type system, especially the way Robinhood and some of the competitors are set up. They've almost intentionally marketed it that way, that it's, it's almost like a video game in your hand, but with real money. Uh, and I think that can be a little bit dangerous because the real goal of investing is you're essentially uh, delaying consumption that you could have made with your currency now, your money now, in order to grow it for future use. And so at its root, that's a pretty serious thing, especially for those of those that are saving for retirement or children's education. Right? It, it's not a game at its heart. And um, so I think you need to really understand what it is you're doing right you're taking ownership of a portion of a real company with real performance and what your personal goals are and then try to align your goals to the strategy um, and you know i think another part of what's happened in the past year that's a little bit dangerous is in order to be willing to do that we really need to feel comfortable that the markets are set up fairly that they uh, all participants have kind of equal opportunity to perform well which i know uh, the whole Reddit and GameStop uh, situation kind of exposed that maybe hedge funds aren't playing exactly the same game and there felt like a little bit of this us versus them mentality. Mm -hmm. And then also we really need to feel a very big sense of transparency, uh, which means we need to understand what those companies are actually doing, what the performance is, and, you know, Enron and things like that historically have been kind of the things that have exposed that. And so I think it's really important for regulators to find ways to 
bring that back under control and help investors recognize that it is an efficient market at its core. It's not perfect, but it is efficient and that we uh, can feel comfortable investing our money for the long haul because that is such an important asset, right? We need to make, we need to make sure that if we're going to save for future use, that we feel comfortable, that we can get a fair return over time and that we're, we're being treated equally across the board with even those that have more assets or more accessibility than we might. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. All right. The next question comes from Rachel. So for someone who's just starting to invest in the stock market, really starting to get involved, um, what kind of books or resources would you recommend that they look into? Yes, I think that's it's a great question. It's it's a really hard one to answer because there's so many good resources out there, honestly. And I, I don't want to, you know, act as though I've read all of them. I, I don't have enough free time to, to do that. And so I think <laughs> for each individual, um, you know, there might be different aspects. So it, um, I definitely recognize, uh, would recommend some personal finance reading, read some of the, um, the ideas on how to get out of debt, if that's something you're struggling with, how to long-term invest, if that's the state. So it's a little bit stage dependent. Um, as far as kind of broader finance reading, I love Michael Lewis as somebody who takes pretty big topics and boils them down at a pretty understand, uh, understandable level. So if you want to know a little bit more about the financial crisis of the you know, 2008, 2009 period, he was the one that wrote The Big Short, which became a good movie. Uh, Liar's Poker, which was about like the late 80s bond market, which is really in interesting. Uh, but then he also takes some of those concepts and applies them. Um, you know, I'm big into sports. And so Moneyball, which takes kind of some of these same types of concepts, but applies them to how um, general managers would construct a baseball team. And so, you know, I think there's a ton of resources and try to find ones that just uh, match your reading interest. Um, there's a lot of wonderful investors that have great track records that talk a little bit about their strategy. So I'm a big Warren Buffett fan. And the fact that I think he's been around a long time. He's really proven himself. He's very willing to share his thoughts. And so uh, if you want to be more of a value investor, I'd recommend at least starting with some of his books, but also podcasts are great at this point, right? I mean, so if, if you have more, more ability to listen in your car, if you have a long commute to work, do audiobooks through your library. That's what I did when I lived in Oklahoma and had a 40 minute commute. Um, mm. Or even if you have an eight minute commute, listen to short podcasts or break them up into segments. Um, just take advantage of how many wonderful resources there are. Now, I know that's not a very specific answer, but, um, you know, it's just kind of a problem. That's awesome. That's helpful. Uh, the next question comes from Kyle. Dr. Walkup, I know that you're a, a big Florida Gators fan. Not going to hold that against you. But uh, <laughs> can you give us an example of what you teach when it comes to the intersection of sports and finance? Yeah, so it's definitely an area I love just from a personal interest perspective. And so... Um, I'll give you kind of an early example that really maybe kind of started me down that road. So when I was actually at UF uh, um, getting my PhD, most UF students are huge football fans. It just comes natural. And so I was teaching an investments course and it was actually my first solo taught uh, full course that I uh, taught. And when we got into the options uh, strategy component, students were struggling a little bit to understand how options paid out and what it meant to uh, be in the money versus profitable. And so uh, I was just uh, chatting with my wife, who's, um, you know, I think we were just dating at the time. And, you know, I really want to find a way to bring this home to the students and make it relatable. And so what I did was I actually created options positions around the performance of certain players during that weekend's game. So it was during the Tim Tebow, Percy Harvin era. And so I would have an option around how many passing yards Tebow would have, how many rushing touchdowns he might have, how many receiving yards Percy Harvin might have. 
have that weekend and then the students could create a portfolio and it was for extra credit depending on how your portfolio performed but you only got the extra credit if you could calculate the payout and profit correctly and submit it and so that way if students struggled it gave me an opportunity to recognize that and sit down and talk them through what they should have done differently and because it was such a relatable topic it made it easier for the students to get excited about it and um, i found their performance went up significantly uh, now i think what i use it more of is kind of the recognition especially at crummer you know you come in and you're learning all the different disciplines right so you might be interested in marketing but you're going to learn management and finance and accounting and everything else and so i i like it as a unique way to show the disciplines aren't siloed right so what i study is really a blend of marketing and finance with sports as the realm and so the idea that these huge marketing um, str strategic marketing positions that are hundreds of millions of dollars in, in scale a lot of times that uh, they are only beneficial if they create value from a financial perspective and so you start to see how those things work together and so i like it from that perspective of being able to blend topics a little bit well it's it's such a creative way to keep your students engaged i appreciate that yeah. <laughs> you are listening to the crummer hour on wprk 91.5 rollins college our guest is crummer professor dr brian walkup and we'll continue our conversation with him in just a moment stay with us hi i'm guy fagan an early advantage mba student at the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. My time during undergrad at Rollins College was incredible. I took every opportunity to get involved on campus. I joined the Tau Cap Absalom fraternity, and I was also a member of the varsity men's tennis team. Crummer has an amazing reputation in the area, so it was a no-brainer. For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu. Welcome back to the Crummer Hour. I'm your host, Clara Mount. Our guest is Crummer Professor Dr. Brian Walkup, and with us we have our panel of Crummer students and alumni with more questions about Dr. Walkup's career. Um, all right, so our next set of questions is actually about your Crummer experience, and we're going to play some Crummer Insider Free Association. So the way this works is I'm going to give you a series of prompts and invite you to say the first thing that comes into your mind. Um, are you ready to play? Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. So I started my Crummer education in the year 2004. I finished classes and graduated in the year 2006, a little longer than it feels like. <laughs> my cohort name and number was. Uh, so I actually didn't recall this when I first came back to Crummer, but I've, I've kind of gone back and done some looking and it was EA09, which again makes it sound like forever ago when you look at you guys are, you know, in the yeah. mid. In the upper 30s now. Yeah, I was a 33 and I graduated last year already, so that's yeah, crazy. Absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, we're, we have a, a couple intakes most years, so it does, it's not as long as it sounds, it's about 15 years ago. So. <laughs> um, all right, there were this many students in my cohort. I honestly don't know the number. If I had to guess, I'd say probably mid to upper 40s, but it, okay. you know, I honestly don't recall. I know obviously we've had some really big intakes lately, um, and I don't remember how many groups we had in, in my cohort, but I want to say it was mid to upper 40s. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, my cohort was known for being. Uh, I'll go kind of a different route on this one. I'll call this the hurricane cohort. So when we first <laughs> came in in 2004, there were four hurricanes that crossed through the state of Florida. And most of them, no matter where they entered, came through Orlando. And obviously, we're a little more inland in Orlando. So they weren't big, devastating yeah. hurricanes by the time they got to us. But Winter Park and Orlando, there were trees everywhere, and it just caused all kind of disruption. We were all losing power. 
for multiple days, right, as we're getting ready for orientation and the start <laughs> classes. And so I know all of you guys have gone through something pretty significant, and so I'm not trying to say ours was as big a deal, <laughs> but we did have some disruptions on the front end with a lot of hurricanes. And uh, so that was a unique thing that happened to my cohort. Wow, that's crazy. Four. <laughs> um, so for our international study, we went to? We went to Bratislava and Budapest. Ooh, those are yeah, fun. very very unique and a great time. We all loved it. And I think it was nice in that it was maybe a place you wouldn't naturally go to visit, and so it was a yeah. unique opportunity to go somewhere somewhere different. Oh, that's awesome. I always love hearing where Crummer takes people. Absolutely. Um, the thing that made the greatest impression on me during our international trip was, you know, I think just seeing similarities and differences of how businesses operate, you know, in different cultures. So I think. Probably the biggest impact is just how similar most of it is, right? I mean, the underlying uh, concepts are the same, no matter where you're doing business. So I just loved seeing some of the similarities and then also some of the distinctions and the opportunity to work with a, a company headquartered in a, in a different location. Awesome. Uh, my favorite course was? I mean, I loved all the finance courses because I came in knowing I wanted to be a finance major or a finance concentration. Um, I love negotiations. Just I love the unique perspective of having the opportunity to interact and kind of almost compete a little bit with your peers um, in the in the simulated negotiations. Obviously, loved the international course because of the trip component, but also the prep that went into that, and um, and also just anything that had real corporate interaction, right? So cons the consulting projects, anything where we got to work with a real company, because I came in without a lot of business background as a lot of uh, EA students do. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to engage. I just wanted to see application and work with real companies. Oh, that's awesome. That's, I was very similar. <laughs> um, <laughs> my favorite professor was? Uh, again, really hard to pick just one, especially since many of them are now my colleagues. Um, <laughs> I love Dr. Kimaz. Um, I took his M&A course and he, I think, was relatively new to Crummer at the time. And so I really enjoyed his course and I love the opportunity now to be a direct you know, finance colleague with him here. Um, I think one that at the time I would have never said was my favorite it was uh, Dr. Serto because it was so challenging and he... Mm -hmm would randomly call out on us uh, for stuff that we had read in the week leading up. And I felt like he always singled me out on the one thing I didn't quite conceptually grasp. But now looking back, I would say I loved that course. And Dr. Serto was amazing the way he had it laid out because it, it pushed me, right? I mean, I think that's mm -hmm. a big part of our MBA journey is being pushed. And sometimes the, time, the things that make us most uncomfortable are where the most growth comes. And so uh, now looking back, I can say that was one of my favorite courses as well. Oh, I love that. Um, and during the experience, my greatest time management lesson was? I think just how to work in a team, how time consuming that can be, because sometimes it feels like um, you could be more efficient on your own, but then also being able to recognize how much better the end product can mm -hmm. be when you actually do work together. And so I think being a math major and somebody who's very used to being able to sit in front of a problem and work to an answer I felt confident in on my own, that was a tough transition for me, but I was so fortunate to have just an amazing team. And we were very, uh, very much involved in every component together. We would sit in the basement for hours working on projects, looking over each other's shoulders, overthinking things. And I, I learned so much from that and so much from the different capabilities and strengths of, of my peers. And so that was a tough time management thing for me because like I, said, <laughs> I wanted to be efficient. I'm an efficiency type person, but I wouldn't trade those hours in the basement for anything. 
That's awesome. That's very similar to how my team operated, <laughs> as Rachel knows. Yeah, <laughs> very similar. Um, all right. So our next, uh, first of all, thank you for playing free association with us. That was really fun. Um, and our next question is about your role as a newly tenured professor, I hear. Um, so I'm claiming the next question. The So I know there are students out there who think finance is not my kind of thing. I'm one of those people. So from a teaching perspective, I'm wondering how do you take a challenging topic like finance and then kind of translate it or make it approachable for um, students that may not, that might not be their thing? Yeah, I think that's actually something I love about finance as a topic and getting the opportunity to teach it is I really enjoy those students that come in with no finance background. And so I actually, you guys probably remember the first week of class, they usually ask kind of, what is your background in finance? Do like a one to 10 scale or mm -hmm. something. And I love the fact, especially in an MBA program, you get people that are willing to admit I'm a one or I'm, you know, I'm a that two. Was me. <laughs> because, um, I take that a little bit as a challenge of, I want to make this not so intimidating that you can get through it, that you can kind of enjoy it, hopefully, right? I know enjoy is a big stretch for some, um, but the, at the end of the day, you recognize how it relates to the roles you're going to be in potentially because everyone at some point is going to have to think through, you know, what is the value creation of this idea or project I'm looking at? I might not be the one running the numbers. I might not even be the one looking at the numbers ever, right? But mm -hmm. somebody else is. And at some point, I might need to pitch my idea to them. So what what is the thought process in their brain? And how do I present this to them in a way that helps them recognize the value it's going to create? And so I kind of try to take that perspective. And I love, you know, I always have a few students somewhere around the midterm that say, you know, I don't hate this as much as I thought I would or something along those lines. But it's like, I think that is a compliment, right? I, if you came in thinking you were going to hate it and it's not horrible, then hopefully that means I'm, I'm doing my job to some degree. So I, I love that opportunity. I enjoyed it when I used to teach undergrads, you know, to have a, a sophomore or junior come in that's never had anything quantitative and they're scared to death. And the same thing at the MBA level, if you came in as a liberal arts background or something and you haven't had a quantitative type course and you're scared, hopefully I can help get you through it. And I also think Crummer's set up so well for that with the team component, right? Because mm -hmm. you also have peers, usually on each team, there's at least one or two with a little more quantitative lean in their thought process and maybe some finance background. And so I love that we can help pull each other up too within the program. Yeah, I do have to say your strategy worked. By the time I got to my entrepreneurship classes, I was like, I know how to make a pitch because I know what the investors care about. There you go. Great. Not See, that's, I love that. I love those uh, those outcomes. That's perfect. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I I um I was the same way. I came in as a one with zero finance background, and by the end, I I took the the modeling class. By the end of it, with the um simulation and everything, and Absolutely. I didn't as much as I thought I would. Awesome. <laughs> Again, great outcome. I love it. Love it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. Our next question is about your personal and professional development, and it comes from Matt. Yeah, I would also be a plus one to the hating finance in the beginning train, but <laughs> ended up really enjoying the class and came back to do this. So as a lifelong learner, what do you do personally every day to continue educating yourself and also developing yourself professionally? So as I'm sure most of you guys have you know, some awareness, there, there's a big research component to being a professor. And so obviously the research is a big part of that as far as keeping me up to date within certain areas of finance. And so I try to find time to read academic articles, think of new ideas. And um, again, it's something I love about Crummer is that 
even within our research, uh, there's a big emphasis on application. How does this actually apply to corporate prof professionals? Is this gonna assist in the thought process in any way? And so I love being able to take what sounds like a very you know, academic idea and think through what is the managerial implications of this. Um, I've also, over time, been trying to incorporate more kind of current event type ideas in the classroom because I think it's important for the students to be thinking about how does this apply to what's actually going on in the real world. But it, it's also very beneficial for me to have students presenting on some of these topics because it's another way to get some of these ideas in front of me. Um, and then just, um, you know, the, the books and podcasts we talked about before. I wish I had more time for those, but when I when I do, I try to make them applicable and spending time with my, my wonderful colleagues here, my co-authors at other universities. So it's kind of a multi-pronged thing, um, you know, when time's available to all those different areas as much as I can. Yeah, it sounds like you really enmesh yourself in learning, like in everything you do. <laughs> I try, I try, right? But, it, you know, we all have lots of life things as well. And so it's it's a balance just like everyone, right? Mm -hmm. it's getting out into corporate America and finding the same thing, right? You're very enmeshed in your work. And then at times you need to be able to step back for a moment and enjoy friend time or family time or whatever. And so it's it's a balance. And I think it's important that we all try to maintain that as we move through different stages of our career. I love that. Uh, so we're bringing this session to a close. And our final question is about your closing message. So what would you like to say to the Crummer community? Uh, so, you know, one thing you guys all probably remember from the classroom is the last week I have kind of my little my little exit pitch I give to everybody, which is uh, stay engaged, right? Uh, Crummer mm -hmm. is a very unique place, which is why I came here as a grad student. It's why I made it a goal to come back here once I started my academic career on the professor side. It's just a unique uh, program and uh, the opportunities to engage with alumni and to network and to audit classes going forward to have uh, you know the career services available to you for life. And so uh, as a professor, my message would be stay in, in touch with your faculty as well, right? So mm -hmm. when you get out into the real world, you're without doubt going to have uh, times where your boss comes to you with a project or you just get engaged in something where you're like, oh man, this seems parallel or similar to something we did in class, but I don't know exactly how to get started or how to shift this for the unique position it's in. Reach out, we're, we're available to assist. And the faculty love that as well because it gives us real world examples of, you know, a student who graduated eight years ago, came back and this was the, the question and it gives us good good opportunities to engage with current students. Um, obviously some of those are, are um, you know, we can't talk about the specifics because it's specific to that company and they don't want information getting out, but it's still a great opportunity for us to see how it's being utilized in the real world and then tie that back into the classroom. Thank you. That's wonderful. So with that, I want to say Dr. Walkup, Crummer alumnus and associate professor of finance. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Crummer Hour. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. Yay. Um, and then I'd also like to thank our panel representing the Crummer Graduate School of Business. So that's Matt Caldwell, Rachel Valuki, and Kyle Sawyer. Thanks for being here, everybody. Thank Great you. Great to see all you guys. Yeah. Thanks, Dr. Walkup. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. Today's Crummer Hour has been brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Now is a great time to consider enhancing your career success by pursuing an advanced degree in business. And the Crummer School offers a variety of educational programs to help you become a global, responsible, innovative business leader. To learn more about the programs and begin the application process, go to crummer.rollins.edu. 
The Crummer Graduate School of Business. Experience excellence. The Crummer Hour is a production of Victor Media Group. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. If you like this show, follow Victor Media Group on your favorite social media platform or visit our website at victormediagroup.co. Today's show was hosted by Clara Mount and executive produced by Gerard Mitchell and J.B. Adams with sound editing by Aaron Trinka. Our gratitude goes out to Greg Golden, Director of Student Media at Rollins College and the entire team at WPRK, as well as Mike Brown and Loveland Finley and Crummer Alumni Relations for their gracious help and support. This is Clara Mount, and until next time, Fiat Lux.